So let's look in Acts chapter 6, our text today, starting in verse 8. Acts 6 and verse 8, I'll read it, and then I want to pray over the word as we receive it today. It says, Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. So they came, seized him and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, this man never stopped speaking against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, I thank you that you open our eyes to the wonders of it. Forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of unrighteousness, and Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Give us today our daily bread, our sustenance for today, what we need from you today. And we know we find it there in your word, and we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So be it, let it be. So last week, we saw some of the things the church was devoted to, devoted to the word, devoted to the preaching of the word devoted to the care for the vulnerable that were among them. We saw that as they're preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, there's also hands and feet at work caring for the vulnerable and those who needed help right in their midst. And we also saw disciples, which means learners, growing in faith as they walked together with the body of Christ. They're growing in faith. They're growing in the work of the kingdom. We saw the apostles, the 12, were beginning to be spread thin by how big the church had become. And they said, we can't step away from the preaching of the word to take care of just these other things. So ask the body, appoint for yourselves seven to help work on this to help do the work of the ministry alongside of us as we continue to preach the gospel. And when they did that, the church was able to quickly identify people that were already doing those things that had grown in faith, grown in power. Stephen, who we read about being one of them. And, and they, they selected them. They had noticed them when asked to select them to serve. When asked to select someone, they asked them to serve. The apostles affirmed it. And here we go. The church is just continuing to grow. Good things are continuing to happen. Again, one of them was Stephen, who it says in verse five, which we read last week, didn't read this week, that he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And then we see where it says this week, he's full of grace and power, performing great wonders and signs among the people. God is moving in this man's life. He's serving the church. And he's being transformed in from the inside out, blessing others with his life. And then there's verse nine. It's the one that we would like to avoid, that we think we can avoid, but, but we never can, we never do. And I love it. I'm reading out the, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible this morning. It says in verse nine, opposition arose, however, 
Opposition arose, and we'll, we'll come back to that in just a minute. But what was the opposition that he was facing? It says it was members of the Freedmen's Synagogue. These are Jews that had been taken to foreign lands as either, as either prisoners and or slaves who grew up speaking Greek or, or came to speak Greek because of where they lived and they've been freed. And so now they've returned home to the Holy Land. So just like last week, we saw with those uh, of the diaspora that had been scattered out and then they're coming back home. Uh, this is these are the ones who have come back from this situation and they had their own little synagogue there. And why was that important? Because they spoke Greek, not Aramaic. So they needed to hear somebody speak in their own language. And Stephen goes to them. Remember, his was a Greek background, we think. And he, he's going to them and he's sharing and he's ministering and, and, he, and he's praying for people at the Freedmen's Synagogue, or at least in that general area, which is cool to see. You know, we can kind of think that they were all the same starting out, but you can already see the diversity of the body. Can't you? Because you've got the synagogues where they speak uh, uh, Aramaic. You've got the synagogues where they speak Greek. You've got the synagogues where they speak Greek and they came from a totally different situation than this one uh, where they're speaking Greek. So you see the diversity of the body even early on. So Stephen is he's leading as one of those seven in the in this distribution ministry. But he's also preaching and sharing Jesus. He's also praying for people and God's moving. And all of that upset those who were at the Freedmen's Synagogue. And, and, and it tells us that they became argumentative against, I guess, what he was preaching, what he was saying about Jesus, the things that he was doing. So you can expect that some of the reactions are probably like, hey, you can't do that. Hey, you can't say that. Hey, hey, it's not like, wait, 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 wait. And, and they're getting all stirred up against him. But even in, in spite of that, it tells us in verse 10 that they were unable to stand against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he spoke. Now, this is the second time we've seen in here that walking in the spirit will make you smarter, <laughs> make you smarter for sure than you were. And I can testify to that because there's plenty of things that I've written down, plenty of things that I've said that I've just had to note even right at that time. God, I know that's you because I couldn't have thought of that. That is so much better than anything I could have ever thought of. The spirit will make you smarter. And why wouldn't he? he knows the hearts of men and the hearts of in the heart of God. And he's at work on the inside of you. That's part of your transformation is to see things in a new way, in a new light. And he, he was evidence of this as we read here in the book of Acts. And so they couldn't stand up against him toe to toe with him based on what he was saying and the work that God was doing through him. So they started scheming to lie on him, to stir up the people against him. And it worked. They seized him, dragged him in front of the Sanhedrin. We've heard that a lot. Remember, it's kind of the Supreme Court of the religious community of the day. The biggest of the big, the highest of the high, the place where you would go to argue your case and they would tell you whether you were right or you were wrong. And they drag him in front of this group with false witnesses saying he said this when he didn't say it or he did this when he didn't do it. And that sounds familiar because we saw him do the same thing to Jesus. And as they are confronting him with this, and we're not going to go further than this today, but but Stephen's moments here in the book of Acts are a pivotal point for the church. And we're going to cover it over the next few weeks. But in verse 15, it says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw 
that his face was like the face of an angel. And that sounds kind of different, right? Is he just a good looking dude? What's going on? But that language there is to denote one who has been with God, been in the presence of God. And again, these are going to be pivotal moments for the church. What's happening with Stephen now, the sermon he's going to give to answer their question, and then his death as a martyr following that pivotal point for the church. But I wanted us to start here just in this section today, because I feel like there's a lot that we can learn from his experience, his life with God here in just this beginning of his story. And the first thing that I want us to pick out in here is that we shouldn't be surprised by opposition. It said in verse nine, opposition arose, however, right after it said how everything was going great. God's moving in Stephen's life. He's using he's he's working through him to move in the lives of others and opposition arose. We shouldn't be surprised by opposition. Instead, we should be ready for it and ready to handle it. Arguments. It wasn't just a little bit of friction. These were arguments that arose against him. Not just a question, not just a debate, but opposition arose. I love that the CSB uses that word. And as I was studying that and I focused on that word opposition, I remember what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 when he said, anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And you've heard me quote that before and we never see that on coffee cups. We don't put it on shirts. We, rarely, we would barely post it on Facebook. Why? It just doesn't get us excited. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And Paul, when he said that, it was right after he had just outlined, Timothy, you've seen all the persecutions I've faced. Don't be surprised when you face persecution, Timothy. There is no way around it. And you've noticed that. You've noticed that in your own life. Anytime you set your mind or your attention to do something that's going to be good, you face opposition. Anything good, you will encounter difficulty. Even natural things, right? We're coming up on the end of the year. What do we always think about at the first of the year? New Year's resolutions. I want to do this and this and this. And they're usually things that are going to be good for you that would help you through the year. I know for me, it's normally, hey, I've been to the doctor and they've done my well baby checkup. And they said, Stephen, have you, what, what kind of exercise do you do? And then it gets quiet. <laughs> like, well, last week I had the hiccups for about 15 minutes. That was strenuous. And so it's usually I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do something to get myself in better health. Maybe I'm going to start walking. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start walking. What happens immediately? I hurt something on my foot or my leg or my back or something like that, right? Or you get sick, you have a fever. Well, I can't go today. I can't go tomorrow. I can't go now. And just it, as soon as you set your mind to do something that's going to be good, what comes? Opposition. Well, I'm going to eat better. Maybe I'll try the keto deal this year. Maybe I'll do that. And then I get the keto flu. And Kelly says the keto flu does not exist. But I tell you what, I've had it. 
When I cut out all that stuff, my body feels, it acts like it's dying. You're killing me. Give me some bread now. Opposition. Opposition. All right. And those are just natural things in your body that, that, that we know. It's like, well, I know when I do this, I'm going to face opposition and I'm going to have to be disciplined to pursue my goal through that opposition. And those are just the natural things, not even talking about the spiritual things, but seeing here, Stephen or us in, in our life following Jesus Christ. Listen, there is a darkness out there that doesn't want to be lit up. There is a darkness out there that does not want to be lit up. There is opposition there. Jesus said the light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. There's a darkness in life in our own hearts that does not want to be lit up and will oppose you. It'll oppose you. You may have had opposition rise up in natural areas. You may have had it rise up in spiritual areas, but I guarantee you've had it rise up. You'll have opposition come up in your own body, in your mind, in your family, on your job, even, even friends and, and extraneous relationships. That's one of the simple ways you see this opposition when you're following Christ is you get around an unbeliever and they're just fine with you until they find out you're a believer. Especially if they find out that you're a believer that's serious about being a believer. All of a sudden, what? comes that distance. We were good friends just a minute ago. We were just talking. Heaven forbid they find out you're a preacher. Well, we can be talking and everything can be go, going good. And then they find out, I didn't know, I didn't know you were a preacher. And then you don't see them anymore. They're not ready to talk anymore. Or the tone of what they say changes. Right? I've had people standing around talking to people, one of them talking, colorful language. Hey, there we go. The other one, she goes, up, 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 up. they're trying to, there's things we don't say in front of certain people. And I was like, but there's a difference. There's opposition there. All of a sudden there's a wall between me and them. And it's that opposition. It's the darkness not wanting to, to be brought into the light. There are elements of darkness and chaos and disorder that are resisting God. That's what they do. Resistant to God and his kingdom. And when you run with times, it can be action. Sometimes it's just whatever you call it, environmental or atmospheric. It's just a part of it. It's just a part of life. And you've seen it. You've felt it. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. You see it already going on in the early church. How many times have they gotten arrested so far just for preaching Jesus? Several, right? And now again with Stephen, opposition, resistance to the lordship of Jesus Christ rises the more his name is preached. It just happens. It does. Because the preaching of Jesus Christ, we talked about, it, demands a response. It's either resistance or repentance. It's either follow him or fight against him. It's one or the other. And the more you the more often you resist, the higher degree of resistance you must put forth. Right. And that's why we, we we see that. So we shouldn't be surprised by opposition 
We should be expecting it and then ready to handle it. It doesn't mean we're hopeless. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and everything's going to come against me. No, things are going to come against you. And we can pray as much as we want that it'll be easy. But life will not be easy when you are wanting to live a godly life in Christ. You're going to face persecution. And we talked about it on Wednesday night when the church was faced with persecution, they didn't pray that the persecution would go away. They said, God, be with us in the middle of this, that we'd be bold to continue to preach your word and declare your name, even though they're telling us that if we do, they're going to keep doing this. They're going to keep coming against us. It didn't say, hey, God, can you just kill them all? That would be great. And just let us go on and let us have an easy, nice life. They didn't pray for that. They said, give us boldness to stand in the face of it because they still knew some of them are going to believe. Some of them are going to be turned in their resistance, in their fighting against Christ. Some of them are going to be redeemed. So we got to keep preaching it. So we shouldn't be surprised by opposition. In fact, we should expect it and prepare to handle it. And so that brings me to the second point is that how we handle it matters. How we handle opposition in life Matters Because when we face it at first, we're tempted to pick up those old weapons, those old tools, those old man ways of life to deal with it, aren't we? When we feel threatened, we want to go back to that old way of handling things. We want to go back to that carnal, fleshly way of dealing with things. And, and especially if it's person to person, we want to respond in kind. I wasn't going to do this to you, but you did it to me. So here it comes. Right. That's just me. Maybe I deal with that. We're tempted to take up those old tools and respond in kind because we feel like if it's something that we know, it's something that we can control. And then the only person I have to trust is myself in dealing with it, except it always goes Poorly. And scripture knows this. God knows we're going to face this. He knows we're going to be tempted with it. That's why Paul wrote in Romans, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Because he knows we're going to want to. That's my fleshly desires. Like you did evil against me. Ho oh, ho, here it comes. He's like, don't do that, though you will be tempted to do it. He also wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, said, though we live in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. Though we're here, flesh and blood, and look just like those that are doing evil on the outside, we do not war. We don't respond to opposition the same way that they respond to opposition in those old ways. The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're what? Mighty. In God to the pulling down of strongholds. What a better word for opposition than a stronghold. They've built up a wall to keep you out to fight back. And he said, no, 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 no. The weapons of your warfare aren't carnal. It's not going to look like the way you would have handled things before you came to Christ. But the way you're going to handle things in Christ is mighty. To the pulling down of strongholds to demolishing strongholds. One of my favorite ones is in Ephesians when he says we don't and CSB says struggle, but I always think wrestle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And we've heard that. Right. And what I came to one day as I was reading that we don't we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That doesn't mean we don't wrestle. 
That's what he says next. He said, you're not supposed to just quit wrestling. You're just supposed to wrestle the right thing the right way. We don't wrestle. We don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. That opposition. So, again, we don't get to go through life going, I don't want to wrestle. We're going to have to fight. But he says you fight the right thing. You fight the real enemy and you fight it the right way. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. And we need to be ready for that. How we handle the opposition matters. When we encounter opposition to our new life in Christ, we're going to be tempted to handle it in the old ways because that was the best we had available. That's all we knew. And the longer we handle things that way, the harder it's going to be for us to not to. We sinned for a long time and we got real good at it. It got to be our practice. So we're tempted to handle things the old way, but how we handle it matters. We need to handle it rightfully, truthfully, according to the way he's taught us in this new life. Even, and, and you can expect that they won't. Have you ever been playing in a game? You've been playing a game. I was playing a game with Luke yesterday and we got to work on him. He cheats and he'll lie. He is the cheatingest little thing playing these games. He'll, run, he'll try to roll the dice where you can't see it. Oh, I rolled a seven. Let me see it. Oh, it, I, it dropped. I dropped it. You can't see it now, but it was a seven. So pray for me. We're working on that. Right? But you've, you've dealt with that. You've dealt with people when they're playing, they don't, they don't play honestly, they don't play uprightly. What does it make you want to do? Sink to the same level. If you're cheating, how am I going to win if I don't cheat? You can expect that this opposition isn't going to fight fair, not going to fight right, because it's not in Christ. Not in Christ. So don't expect it to be anything but lying, cheating, and stealing. Don't expect the opposition to fight Right, but you need to respond that way. And we see Stephen right here. That's happening with him. He's not been doing anything but good. He's been preaching Jesus. He's been helping widows. He's been praying for people and seeing people healed. And then they drag him in before the Sanhedrin like he's done something awful. Tell him he's done something awful and get people together to lie about him. Nothing more. Oh, when, they, when people lie on you, it's tough. When people lie on you, it's hard to deal with. And that's what he's dealing with here. But you'll see it as we go through this. His response was different than what, than what they were coming at him with. His witness was his weapon and his weapon was his witness. The way that he handled this is a witness still today. We're reading it still today because he handled it in Christ. It's a witness for us. It's, you even hear people say, these Jesus people are different. These Jesus people, these people that are of the way, we'll see them called that, we'll see them called Christians soon. They're different. And that's the hope is that your witness of how you're handling opposition, it's why how you handle it matters. It will be noticed and it will be remembered. How you handle opposition will either grow you. It's going to grow you up. Why? Because it's resistance. Resistance builds strength. 
We know that from just working out, exercise, whatever. When you add resistance, you, you're built up by that. Actually, you're torn down and then made new. Isn't it interesting how that works? Anyway, resistance will strengthen us, but when we handle that opposition, we'll either grow through it or if we handle it, th- handle it the old way, if we go back to the old man way of handling it, then it will just give us back over to the darkness that we're supposed to be coming out of, that we're supposed to be opposing. We just jump right back in there with them in it. So how is Stephen handling it? It's already told us he's full of faith and the spirit, full of grace and power, and that they weren't able to even stand against the wisdom and the spirit by which he was speaking. And that reminds me of what it says in Galatians when it says when you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. When you walk according to the spirit, you won't be drawn over into the life of the flesh, that old life. And that's how he is handling it. And when you do that, when he did that, it leaves your accusers without a leg to stand on. They're coming at you with all of this. They couldn't stand against him on proper terms, head to head. They couldn't stand against him. Why? The spirit gave him wisdom and power was flowing through him and they could not deny it, but it still upset him. And so they came at him with deceit and dishonesty and slander. But even then, they didn't have a leg to stand on. And that reminds me of what it says in Titus chapter 2, where it says, shame your opponent by not giving them anything bad to say about you. That's one we can remember, isn't it? Shame your opponent, your what? Your opposition, by not giving them anything bad to say about you. That's speaking to young men specifically. Of course, we can all learn from it. Why, young men, we need to know that. I'm still there. Somebody called me young the other day and I wanted to hug their neck. Shame your opponent by not giving them anything bad to say about you. Peter wrote about it too in 1 Peter 2.12. He said, conduct yourselves honorably so that when they slander you as an evildoer, all they'll see are good works. Who's he? Why is he saying this? Because it was happening. They were dealing with it. He knew Stephen. He knew him. He had walked with him. He had talked about Jesus with him. I'm sure they had prayed together, prayed for people together. They had done ministry together. He said, when they when they pull you in and slander you as an evildoer, let your life have been lived in such a way that all they'll see is good works. Let's say he's awful that there'll be 10 people lined up to go. No, he's not. He's a liar. No, he's not. I've never heard him tell anything but the truth. Right. Let your conduct be such that when they slander you as an evildoer, they won't have any evidence. Handle yourself like you learned in Christ, even when they don't, even when the opposition doesn't. And you see them, they're coming in verse 11 and 12, persuaded men to say falsely that he had blasphemed God. They stirred up the people so that they could seize him and take him in front of the Sanhedrin. Again, it's false and malevolent. It's like they can't stand toe to toe with what God's doing. And so they're going to try to take control their own 
way. And again, who else did they do this to? Jesus. This irrational hatred because of him. And again, we shouldn't be surprised by that. He told us it would happen. He said out of his own mouth, you'll be hated because of me. You'll be hated because of me. And so he so Stephen was. And so we are. We can be. But take take hope. Salvation is at hand. But you see the root of this. They don't hate this man. What do they hate? What are they fighting against? What are they opposing? The message that's going forward. What are they saying? You can't preach Jesus. Jesus is dangerous. You see that over and over. Stop preaching Jesus. Stop talking about his name. Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. He's dangerous. And you still see that today. We've got to stop the preaching of Jesus. Why? Because we can't control him. You let him loose. He is Lord. But that's the root of it, that Jesus is dangerous. His message is destructive. He and by extension, his people, Stephen here and us now must be stopped. That's the opposition. And we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. We should be ready to handle it. And we should remember that how we handle it matters. How we handle it matters. We want to handle it right, even when the world cheats and seems to get ahead. Psalms talks a lot about that. It said, don't fret about the evildoers when it seems like they're prospering in their way, even though they're evil and wicked. He says, you'll see them and they'll be like a tree that's big and settled and rooted down deep. And you're thinking, there's no way this is ever going to move. And the next day it might be gone. And to them, to us, we, we can look at a tree in the yard and go, it's going to take a lot to move this. I'm going to have to get somebody in. They're going to have to bring in some heavy equipment. Them moving a tree, huge deal. Near impossible. Right? He said, you're going to see it one day and then it will be gone. You, you don't fret when the world cheats and seems to get ahead. Look again what it said in verse 15. He's handling himself this way. We'll get into his sermon. They ask him like, is this true? And man, he, he runs with it. But it says, and all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked into. So expect opposition. Don't be surprised by it. How you handle it matters. And then how you look during tough times and under pressure will be seen and it will be remembered. How you look during tough times is going to be seen and remembered. And, and again, we'll get into this more on Wednesday night when we uh, cover this passage. But that was language to describe someone who had been in the presence of God. So when we're handling opposition, when we're facing it head on, regardless of what it's in, if it's in our physical body, if it's in our, our work life, our family life, our relationships, in the spiritual realm completely, whatever it is, how we are handling that opposition, will those who are on the outside see that we've been with Jesus? Will they look at us and say, this is somebody who's been in the presence of God. These Jesus people are different. Not that this person is perfect, but this person has been around something that I haven't seen before. This person has been into something that I haven't seen the likeness of. And we're not perfect, but have we been with the one who is? Have we been in his presence? 
And again, that's a lot of pressure on us. It can feel, we can feel the weight of that. People are watching. People are watching how I handle opposition. And how I handle it is going to be seen and it's going to be remembered. And that's a lot of weight to put on me. How in the world can, we, can I do that? How in the world can I deal with that? Well, in the world, I can. In the world, I can. And that's why I want to close with this. Because I know time changed and our bellies are saying it's 1245 and everybody's going to be getting hungry. But the good news, the, the best news for us in that, as we see those things, again, people are watching me, how I handle these things, it's going to be remembered. How he handled this, how he looked while this was going on was remembered so much that they talked about it after. Luke wasn't there. Somebody talked about it after and they wrote it down. He is our only hope in dealing with that. Our ultimate hope in dealing with that is Jesus Christ. That he's with us. That's our hope. That's the promise that he made, that he would be with us, the Spirit of God in us, just like Stephen. You're going to see it. Jesus didn't leave him. Jesus didn't forsake him. Jesus was right there with him. He's with us and he knows. He knows. He's been here. Wearing flesh, just like you're wearing. He's been here. He's walked those roads. He's faced opposition. He knows what it feels like. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like to be lied on. He knows what it feels like to be slandered and mistreated. He knows. And he's right there with us. He's walked that road too. He endured temptation. He endured pain. And he overcame. So how can we face opposition and do it in such a way that it'll be a witness to those who are around and those who are watching? Well, we and ourselves obviously can't, but he can and he did. And our ultimate hope is that he is here with us and he's going to see us all the way home. And he has to be that ultimate hope. Even if everything else falls, I can't hang my hope on something less. Just like that song says, I rest my hope in nothing less than Jesus. Because if I do and I face opposition in that area, what happens? If I put my hope in my health and how I handle that and my, and my health fails or fades or I have any issue, what happens? I fall to the side. If my hope is anywhere less than Him, but when it's in Him, my hope rests there in His unshakable kingdom. You have Stephen here. Everything else has fallen. They had tarnished his name, his character, his reputation with lies. And he didn't sink to their level, but he stood in hope of Jesus. His health, even his life was going to be taken from him, but he didn't choose it over Jesus because he knew that Jesus was better. And how is it possible? How was he able to do that? He was soaked in the spirit and the message. He was seeing the kingdom of God manifest in front of his eyes, seeing the message go forth. And he knew this is not only real life, but this is the ultimate life. He'd been with God. He knew the truth and he could not be swayed. He had a chance to recant. Again, we can't imagine for them the pressure it would be like to be called in front of the Sanhedrin. That's a big deal. And then you got people lying on you there in front of them and you know the, that the game is fixed, that you're probably going to lose. 
Temptation's got to be there to go, hey, you know what? That's fine. I won't say his name anymore. Just let me leave. Right? And if life and health is my goal and my hope, I will do that. But if Jesus is my ultimate hope, my ultimate goal, then I won't be swayed from it. He had a chance to recount and renounce, but instead he just announced the truth again, though it would cost his life. Who cost his life? And the way he handled it was remembered. It was noticed and it was remembered. And so we can be impressed by him just like we're impressed by other stories in Scripture, men and women who did amazing things in the kingdom. But he's not the hero of the story. And he would tell you the same thing. He's not the hero of the story. Who's the hero of his story? If you said, Stephen, who is the hero of this story? He would say, my Jesus. Because he was there with me. He was there for me. And he did exactly what he said he would do. Jesus is the hero of the story. And I belong to him. So again, we can expect opposition. Expect it. It's coming. How we handle it matters. It will be seen and it will be remembered. We want to be seen as those who have been with God. Again, that's not the pressure and the weight to be perfect. It's to spend time with the one who is perfect. And to grow in him. As we face opposition, he's going to grow us. He's our ultimate hope in life and in death. He's with us and he knows that path. He's walked it before. And he did it the right way. He did it for us. And again, he's growing us through that opposition, strengthening us into his image for the praise of His glorious name and His grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Lord, that when, when the inevitability of opposition is there, we have hope. Difficulty. But You told us to be of good cheer because You have overcome the world. You have overcome the world. And Father, we, we spend our time and our attention with you and fellowship with you. We want to be so close to you that when we face opposition, people don't see us, but they see you. That we would glory in tribulation, that we would shine in tribulation and there would be something different about your people. That the world walks like this, but let it not be so amongst us because we belong to a different kingdom. We belong to the Lord of all. We belong to Jesus Christ who's walked this road ahead of us, who's endured temptation and trial ahead of us and did so in perfection so that we could become the righteousness of God. Weary in doing good, even when the others are cheating, that if anybody's going to do it right, that it'd be us because we've learned better in you. And that we know we don't have to reach back to those old ways of handling things, those old ways of handling opposition because you have given us better. You've given us the best in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that we can look at this story of Stephen. We're going to see more about it in the weeks to come, that it's impressive, but the hero of the story is you. Because without you, we don't know his name. And he never would have accomplished for the kingdom what happened in these next few chapters if it wasn't for you. Lord, as we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with each other. Encourage that though we face opposition, we are not alone. You've given us one another and you've given us the living hope of Jesus Christ. Father, as we go through this week, 
that we would acknowledge you in all our ways so that you'll direct our paths. And I thank you that you will open our eyes to encourage those around us and to build them up because you have given us life and health in your word and in the Holy Spirit that resides on the inside of us and that we take that out into this world. Though we meet opposition, there's no shadow that you can't light. Though it would fight and flail and rage, there is no darkness that you cannot illuminate. And I thank you that we carry that light in us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name.